This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to episode 110 of Crack the Customer Code. This episode is brought to you by Audible. With more than 180,000 titles, you can listen to all those books you've been meaning to read. And listeners of Crack the Customer Code can receive a 30-day free trial to experience for themselves. Sign up at audible.com slash customer code. I'm Jeannie Walters, and here I am with my co-host and the MC Mac of Magnificent Customer Service, Adam Toporek. <laughs> MC Mac. Yes. You've, you, you've, uh, you've outdone yourself today. Like. I like it because your titles are crossing genres, and that's important. Yeah. Well, I figure, you know, who doesn't want to be kind of a hip-hop MC? <laughs> I know I do. I figured. I figured as much, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's safe to say that we've got some Mac Daddy going on here in the podcast with our guest, Mike Ganino. Uh, that was a cool conversation. He uh, comes from a place close to my heart and close to all of our hearts. Uh, hospitality and restaurants. So we all know how challenging service environments, what challenging service environments those can be. And uh, Mike's got some really good insights into how he helps brands connect with customers and how he views the hospitality service. Yeah, I agree. I really liked what he says about culture and about weaving that into everything and how that has such an impact on customer experience because that's certainly things that we talk about, but his lens into the hospitality and restaurant industry is is really quite fascinating. So I really like this interview. I think our listeners are going to enjoy it too. I, other than all the Chicago blah, blah, blah between you two, <laughs> yes, I think it was an excellent interview. There is no such thing as blah, blah, blah after Chicago. There's no such thing as Chicago blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, not at all. You just yada, yada, yada Chicago, which I take offense to. <laughs> I love Chicago, you know it, but you, we've always <laughs> got to have our fun. Well, let's talk about Mike and get right into the interview. Mike Ganino is a hospitality industry expert, global keynote speaker, and author of the upcoming Culture Kitchen, Recipes for Building a Great Brand. He's the former chief operating officer at one of the hottest fast casual 2.0 brands, Protein Bar. Mike is also a leading expert on building a brand that everyone wants to be a part of by creating a captivating culture. He has worked with a number of category leading brands like Chow Now, Uber, US Foods, Press Juicery, Protein Bar, Yum Brands, Potbelly Sandwich Shop, and Lettuce, that's like head of lettuce, entertain new enterprises. So welcome, Mike. Hey, Mike, how are you today? I am awesome, Adam. Thank you. Oh, we're, we're so, so we're so happy to have you here. You could you could see the joys of having a two host uh, show right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all a give and take. It's all a give and take. Stepping yes. on lines. That's what we do. <laughs> Sorry about that, Jenny. So anyway, so Mike, you and I have actually met. I remember I approached you at a conference recently because I heard you giving part of your speech, and it sounded almost like a part of mine. And I was like, man, we are kindred customer experience spirits. And so we're so excited to have you here, and I want you to talk to us about one of your specialties, which is the hospitality industry. So first, tell us a bit about your background and how you ended up speaking and consulting in hospitality. 
Awesome. Yeah. So I'd love to say that it started because I had this desire to work in food, but it started because I was 15 years old and I really wanted to go to a Reba McIntyre concert. (laughs) So I had this dream. We lived in this very small town and I wanted to go to Las Vegas, which was like four hours drive. And I wanted to see Reba. So my grandpa, being of uh, of good Midwestern stock, said, well, great. Yeah, it'd be so fun. You should go. Uh, How are you going to pay for that? And I was like, how am I going to pay for it? Well, the tickets are like 70 bucks and I make $10 a week in allowance. So if I carry the one and multiply by two, and I was like, okay, I think I could do this. Um, and then he said, well, you know, your grandma has to drive you there. So you got to pay for the gas and you're going to need to stay overnight. So I thought, oh gosh, I'm never going to go now because I, I need a boost in my allowance. So I, uh, I decided maybe I should go get a job. And a friend of mine worked at Pizza Hut in town, which was the nicest restaurant. <laughs> so nice. I went in and I thought, oh, this is cool. I could, I could wait tables here. I could answer the phone and take some orders. No problem. So I got a job uh, really quickly and I thought, that's great. They didn't really ask me any questions. I didn't, you know, I never had a job. So when I showed up for my first day, they gave me a rubber apron and I thought, well, this rubber apron isn't very attractive. Like <laughs> I'm not going to walk around at tables with this, am I? And then I realized, oh, I'm the dish guy. I'm going to be doing dishes. Uh, So I quickly learned, like, I don't like doing dishes. So I will do whatever I have to do to prove that I I have more to offer. So I did the dishes. I came to the shifts nobody wanted. I did all those things and uh, and was able to move out to the front of house and start waiting tables pretty quickly. And it was really cool because it kind of bit me that, like, wow, this is an industry where if you're helpful and you're positive and you work hard, there's a lot of promise here. So I ended up staying at Pizza Hut for four years. My whole family actually ended up getting involved in the, in the franchise group, my grandma included. And, uh, and then it kind of bit me and I stuck with it. So years later, I ended up in Chicago and worked for a uh, growing chain called Poppily Sandwich Shop, helped them go from seven locations to about 200 and then uh, did that again at another place called Homey Pizza Company, where we went from 10 to 40, and then finally became a partner in a, in a place called Protein Bar. We took that from one location in 2011 to uh, 20 locations in 2014, and uh, then worked out a deal with a private equity firm. And after that, I kind of said, well, what's next? And ended up, I, I didn't want to do it all again. I said, maybe I could just help other people who want to do what I've done. And that led me to consulting, which led me to speaking. And, and that's what I do now. I help little brands become big brands and big brands become better brands. That's awesome. And you're speaking my language because, of course, I'm in Chicago. Oh. And, yes. And Potbelly is a favorite, of course. And awesome. uh, and homemade pizza company and, and protein bar. Now, wh- what was the original protein bar? I'm curious. What location? Yeah, so the- the first one was the one across from uh, Willis Tower or Sears okay. Tower for all the, the diehards out there. Yes. Well, we're in Chicago. It is the Sears Tower. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. There's no question. There's no. It's always funny when tourists, when I would talk to somebody, a, a tourist, they'd be like, what is the Sears Tower? And it's like, oh, yeah, you're reading a tour guidebook. Right. It's, it's called the Willis Tower now. <laughs> I know. It's We're, we're just being super stubborn about yes. it. Basically. Like our things. Don't move the cheese. Don't move yeah, the cheese. Exactly. Exactly. But I love how you kind of came up and started looking at it as, okay, what what can we do to make things better? And I think that's a goal of anybody in customer experience. We always look at something and say, okay, what's going right? What can be going right in more places? And what's not going so well? And and we have to approach each industry with kind of a, a unique lens for that industry. Every Every single industry has its own unique attributes and they all have to be considered. So I'm wondering, when you're looking at hospitality, what do you think are some of the areas in customer experience 
where hospitality is similar to other industries or where it's very different from other industries? Yeah. You know, I've always thought, I've always thought that hospitality is kind of the heart of service. I think when, you know, when you read most books about service or you go to most events about it, there's always, there's always an underlying theme that ties back to hotels, restaurant, retail. And I think if you were to talk to someone about customer service, the first thing that comes to mind often is, is a restaurant. And I mean, with good reason, right? We, we go, millions of people go and get coffee every day from a shop. Uh, millions of people go out to lunch every single day at a, at a restaurant, at a quick service restaurant. And so we just interact with service a lot more in the hospitality industry than anywhere else. What I think is the same is that, you know, people want what they want in our job, uh, whether we're an agency or whether we're consultants or whether we're running a, a sandwich shop, our job is to figure out what the person wants and get it for them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the same no matter what. And when, it, when I've worked with, with agencies and, and different groups, I find that the ones that are doing well are the ones that get that. My job mm-hmm. is to figure out what you want and then get it for you. I think that goes across the board. I also think customers want, whether they're ordering a sandwich or you're doing graphic design for them or copywriting, they want accuracy. They want to know that you've got their back, that you're looking out for them. And whether that's you know getting, getting the mushrooms on my sandwich or whether that's getting my flight booked correctly with an airline, we all want that, that accuracy. And I think those things are, are transcendent. Those really happen no matter what. And I think that the difference and where hospitality really has to, to nail it that isn't as important in other places is the speed of service is usually really fast in what we do. You have seconds. You know, if you're, if you're in some other businesses, you might have months, weeks, hours to really, you know, not only make the first impression, but then continue to have an impression. So often in the hospitality industry, we have that first impression and a few seconds afterwards. We got to be We've got to be on it and tight and understand where we're pointing that. And I think that's a big, big difference in our industry than, than some other folks. Well, it's funny. You, you hit on a lot of the things that I always say. Everybody in their lifetime should work in retail, <laughs> should work in a restaurant as a server, and you know, really understand that experience because I think it, it helps you treat people better for the rest of your life <laughs> because <laughs> I was – you know, I, I worked in a Walden Books when I was in high school and college and learned what it means when, like, you run out of wrapping paper in a place like that, even <laughs> though that's not your core service. <laughs> On December 24th, no less. Yeah, exactly. It was a mess. And then I also worked in a uh, in what I like to call the world's worst Mexican restaurant. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and the owner was not always very kind to the servers and we got, you know, it, it was no fun to go to work. And I think about all these people who, you know, just like you're saying, they're kind of the heart of the service and how if we understood that role a little bit better, we would all be better customers. And then the world would be a better place and we could all sing Kumbaya. <laughs> I, I see the unicorns and rainbows now. You know, Thank you. It's funny too, because like what you're talking about, there, there is this, uh, the other thing that happens in our industry so frequently and where I end up spending a lot of time in my, in my consulting work and even in my, my speaking is this industry does have all those opportunities that I talked about. I mean, I went from, from the dish pit at Pizza Hut to being in the boardroom you know, and being a, a C-level executive and with, without going to college for it. Right? I went to college to be an actor and then did improv for a long time back to the Chicago roots. But nobody ever really taught me how to be a restaurant manager. They taught me about the checklists. They taught me about 
how to use the form at their restaurant, but they didn't teach me what I needed to know to be a restaurant manager. And so, so often people get promoted, right? And it's like, oh, I got promoted to a shift manager and then an assistant manager and then a general manager and a district manager. And we never really learned how do you, how do you influence and inspire an environment where people give great service naturally? And how do you make sure that you're not like the, like the guy in your story, the world's worst Mexican restaurant, which could be a really cool tagline, by the way. If, uh, <laughs> yeah, if Dick's true. Last Resort can work, I think that could work. That's it could, true. It could be like that Chicago restaurant where they insult everybody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but a lot of times they don't teach people how to do that. It's, we teach them about checklists and we teach them about uh, performance metrics and numbers, but we don't teach them about how do you how do you fire up this crew to give great service, and then how do you support that so you're not the jerk who's not giving them what they need and running out of paper and running out of something, and then making it harder for them to give service, you know? And, and we just don't talk about that a lot. And you know, you brought up a great point about how these all the different layers that you can sort of go through in that industry. I mean, and they're different skill sets. And it reminds me of the old book in principle, the Peter principle, which is uh, people are, you know, promoted to the level of their incompetence and they stay there. <laughs> <laughs> and you think about it, you started off as, as a dishwasher and you go to a server and then you go to a manager and those are all completely different skill sets. And you're right. It's interesting that people need to, you know, you don't get the training for it. And I've seen a lot of restaurants. I've known a lot of people that have worked F and B and, you know, that training to transition from the dishwasher or hostess to the waitress, to the, uh, you know, manager is not always there. So tell us when you go in to consult and when you're going in to look at these businesses and help them improve, what are some of the things you look for? Yeah. I mean, the first thing, and it's funny, the the Peter principle, one of the things I, I love, I've seen this before and I use it a lot and I don't know who gets credit for it. But, you know, when somebody tells me like, oh, I have, I have 20 years experience, it's like, but do you, have you just been reliving the same year every year? Like, what have you done? <laughs> That's great. You know, you've become a director of operations, but are you just replaying the same year over and over or what have you done to really grow? And that's one of the things I'm thankful for in my experience is I really got to see a lot of things and opening all those restaurants. It's, it's like boot camp, you know, you're in this intense space. And so where I always start is, is counterintuitive to where a lot of people want to start. When I, when I first work with a brand, a lot of times they'll say, oh, we need to update our, our service philosophy, or we need to, we need to, uh, put a, put a strong memo. And it's like, nobody ever did something because of a tersely worded memo. Like <laughs> that's not why they're giving bad service is because it's like, oh, I didn't know that it mattered. Now that you sent me a memo and posted it on the whiteboard, now I know, now it's clear. That's not where that comes from. So for me, what's always the first step is really looking at the climate. And I think we talk about, I talk a lot about culture, but the way we change culture is not by sitting down and documenting some values. That comes later. It's really to look and say, what's the actual climate in here? How does it feel in here every day? Because if it feels like a tornado or a hurricane and it's, it's hot and steamy and awful and people aren't friendly and we're, we don't have the tools to do our job, you're really, you're really going to have a hard time getting that team of people to care when you're really saying, I don't care about you. So, so I always start with climate. What's it actually feel like in here each day? And then I try to work with the leadership team to get very specific about what being an employee and what being a customer looks like for them. And one of my favorite ways to do that is with storyboarding. Uh, I learned about that from Walt Disney. And it's basically what they use in animation and even in, in real you know, live action movies. 
to kind of map out what happens to the character throughout. They draw these quick sketches to say, you know, at this point, what happens? Um, and then what happens? And what else could happen here? And they can move it around. They could play with the story. And so I start a lot of my initial work with clients doing that, mapping out what happens at this point. When someone walks up to the register, what's the ideal thing that should happen? What are the other options? What gets in the way of that? Let's identify where there might be a kink and then let's figure out what it should look like. And now let's let's get that clear. Because most often what we do is we just say all the, the generic things of like, we want to be nice to people. We want to make eye contact and, you know, this, that, and the other. But I, I just think focus on the climate and get really clear on like, what's it actually feel like in here? And then number two, storyboard out what it looks like to be a customer because then you can identify the right spots to fix. Well, that's really fascinating because you use the term storyboarding and bringing it from like animation. How does that differ? Or is it just sort of another way of approaching journey mapping? Is it sort of a similar process or is there a differentiator in there that uh, you know, makes it a different term for you? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's pretty close. I mean, I literally am talking about, you know, I'll get some, some big cards and we draw like little people sketches, uh, and which, which aren't always the most attractive. I'm not an artist. I'm a, <laughs> a, I'm a food maker and a restaurant leader, but, but, um, you know, we'll actually storyboard it out and put it onto, uh, put it onto pieces of cards that we can move around, that we can slide around, that we can add to and subtract from and make it really visual for people. And there's something interesting when you can kind of like stick those up on the wall. Uh, it gets people out of the computer, out of looking at the paper and kind of like drawing the map of what happens next and really engaged in, in these stories. It makes the customer and the employee a real person. Um, and so it's, it's pretty much uh, the same thing as journey mapping, uh, just in a much more visual way that gets people to kind of see it as we are creating these stories every day. Like when a customer comes in, we're creating a story for them. They're going to go tell somebody about what happened to them. So let's let's get clear on what we need to do to get them to say the right story. And I do the same thing when I help brands uh, map out their employee experience. So what does it feel like to be an employee here? What's their day like? We do the same thing. And it's interesting how often we find uh, pieces in that story where it's like, oh, well, this is the part. This is why this... Uh, thing is happening later because there's no clarity here about what's going on today. So what could we slide in here? And it just gets people thinking in a different way. Kind of, I'm a big fan of like, if everyone's zigging, then try to zag and see if that shakes up some new ideas. Well, I love that. And I think one theme that comes up no matter, you know, what restaurant you're in, <laughs> essentially, unless maybe you're in one of those like vending machine restaurants in Japan or something. But uh, I mean, people are really driving the experience no matter what happens. And I'm wondering when you're training hospitality staff, especially at more than one location, what are the biggest challenges that you see and how do you overcome those challenges? How do you get the people who are complex and nuanced and emotional to understand all of this and why their role is so important. Yeah, it's funny. I always say uh, when, I'm, when I'm talking with leaders and they'll be like, oh, so-and-so is doing this or, or this team isn't doing right. And it's like, oh, I know. You put out, you put out an ad for this perfect employee and then a real <laughs> human being showed up to work. <laughs> I hate when that happens. <laughs> I know. And it's, it's so funny, though, because I, I always say, like, that's the job. 
That is actually your job. Assume that it's their job to be late. Assume that it's their job to not do it all perfect. The job of a leadership is just to kind of keep resetting it. And okay, let's go back to base here. Let's go back to where we need to be. That's exactly what I want, or that's not what I want. Let's talk about this. This is what I liked best. This is what could be more more effective next time. But yeah, I think a lot of places say, oh, we're going to train you once and then leave you alone and you'll just know what to do. And the real place for me often is leadership, is where we spend a lot of time. And we spend a lot of time talking about what goes on every day. What are the little rituals or cues that you can put in place to to be a great leader? In my keynote, Culture Kitchen, the first step in creating a brand that everybody's talking about, which is what we want to do, whether we're one location in a small town or we're a multi you know, multinational brand or we're a franchisee, we want to be the place people are talking about. Mm-hmm. Employees, customers, the media, that's the goal is to get that sizzle. The place you've got to start is learning how to manage ourselves better because what we contribute to the climate is what's going to happen. Think of it this way. If you go to Starbucks, that's an easy target. You could go to two different Starbucks and have a completely different experience. That's not because the training was different. They have the same training manuals. It's not because the tools are different. They've largely got the same tools. What's the difference? It's the person running that shift, running that department, running that store. And so we've got to focus on really getting the people in these leadership roles to understand the impact they have on the client and then to get really clear about what impact do you want to have. Nobody goes to work. Nobody gets promoted and says, I want to be known as the worst general manager ever. Right. Unless, unless maybe the guy at the Mexican place does, I don't know, but nobody wants that. That's not the goal. And so sometimes what we do, what I do is hold up a mirror and say, we're not going to just buy a new mirror because that's what a lot of people want to do. Oh, I've got to get new staff. If I only had the logo that this company has, or if I had the real estate that this company has, but I've been to lots of restaurants and bad places. I've been to hotels and not great places and they still were great. So location isn't the factor the number one factor is what does the immediate leader do every day? And if you don't get really specific and clear and strong in that, it doesn't really matter how much training you put together because that impacts the climate and the customer experience more than anything else. And that's why if you go to two different Starbucks, you can have a different experience. Well, Mike, this has been great. And from your mouth to everywhere I eat ears. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I am saying. No, this has been excellent. I mean, it's, it's I like your approach. You know, it, we deal with this a lot. Jeannie and I both deal with this when we're talking to clients or talking to people about their customer experience, which is getting so just lost in the technical and the operational and all that is important and forgetting about the human. And in the end, it is always about human connections and customer experience, or Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say always, but it is uh, very often comes down to that. So I I love your message and I love what you're doing and I'm sure our listeners will too. So why don't you tell us where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, I'm, I'm super easy. I'm, uh, I'm at Mike Ganino pretty much everywhere. So uh, MikeGanino.com and at MikeGanino on Snapchat and Twitter and, and all kinds of places. And uh, the easiest place probably, the simplest thing to remember is if you just go to Mike, M-I-K-E dot tips, like you're getting some free tips. If you go there, you'll be able to get my guide to get started with training and then uh, we can keep the conversation going. Great. Excellent. Well, this, this was fantastic, Mike. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Such a blast. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mike. 
We hope you enjoyed episode 110 of Crack the Customer Code. You can see the show notes for this and all episodes. Subscribe and send us feedback at crackthecustomercode.com. Thanks to audible.com for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to sign up for a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash customer code. I'm Jeannie Walters. Learn more and connect with me at 360connects.com. That's 360-C-O-N-N-E-X-T.com. Don't forget, we love your reviews. Let us know what you think on iTunes. And I'm Adam Tapork. You can connect with me and find out more about our customer service workshops and training at customersetsick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.